Fends them dummy half. It's with the halfback, William. Williams goes himself, comes out the other side, gets it to Croker, bounces away from a would-be from De Goyce, puts a kick out wide, looking for Shander Earl, and Earl is in again. Oh, stop it, it's starting to hurt. Rugby League! Rugby League! Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Supercoach Playbook podcast. I am your host, Tim Williams. We've got a special episode of the podcast tonight. We've got the boys on, Walson Carlos, Des Creek, last year's winner and runner-up. Very exciting chat tonight, pretty informal sort of stuff, but the boys have been asked for ages and ages about their 2019 campaign, how they went about and ended up finishing 1-2. They've got some crazy stories in between it about they, they linked up with each other, gave each other a bit of advice and ridiculously ended up finishing 1-2. So, fellas, how are we going? Des, start with you. Yeah, going well. Uh, cramped up in the house for a few weeks now, but all's all's good. Mate, how's that broken toe coming along? Oh, it's it's yeah, it's healed okay. It's still a bit sideways, but can live with it. That's all right, mate. Walson, how are you up north? Yeah, all good up here, Timmy and Des. Yeah, so it's um, we got this. So yeah, the social. Um, distancing restrictions and that's made a bit of a difference to the school that I work at so but um, still got a job at the moment so very grateful for that. Mate if you could have a yarn to your your premier Anastasia Palaget and just tell her to chill out a little bit to make sure the footy goes ahead that'd be lovely. Yeah I'll tell you what I've been missing the footy so we'll see what happens they've um, they've put May 20th, 28th uh, down as the date and I think every footy fan's hanging out for it I know I certainly am. Absolutely, mate. Uh, so, still being able to do pretty old daily Supercoach content over the break. It's now looking a bit more optimistic that we'll get the season underway in, in a bit less than a month's time now. Uh, all the content that's been through this period has all been free of charge, um, nothing for subscribers. You know, it's pretty tough time, so hopefully we've been able to get you through a little bit of the patch and give you some interest, something to read and whatnot. Uh, we will shoot up the subscriptions again in the next couple of weeks' time now that the season's ramping up. Uh, if you are interested in that, it'll be $30 for the NRL package or it's $40 for the NRL and Big Bash package at the end of the season. Uh, so plenty of stuff there. If you have any questions for us, feedback, advice, hit us up on our socials at Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at SC Playbook one Now, we will be chatting to the boys all about how they went about last year's season, but we're going to start off with a pretty important question now that Supercoach is about to get going again in the NRL, of course. There was a question from Jeff Sims that's very popular at the moment. How many trades do you think we will have for round three? Walson, I know you put out the question on Twitter during the week as well and got a massive, massive feedback and started a good debate on that. It's hard to answer, but the landscape of Supercoach has changed so dramatically. And the biggest thing for me is obviously that Origin will be played after the season. So we don't have to plan for buys. Um, guys aren't going to have short backups where they might get rest. It's going to be gung-ho. Um, so it's going to be pretty simple in that sense. And the real big thing out of that is the super trade round that has five trades in between, I think, Origin 1 and 2 or between 2 and 3. That becomes null and void effectively. Mate, how do you see things panning out? That's for you, Olsen. Yeah, I think, Timmy, um, I, I was just interested in, in different people's opinions because, I mean, I think we all see it through the prism of where we are at <laughs> uh, throughout the season, but some people have looked at it really objectively and they've said, look, you know, we shouldn't go crazy on trade. Some people are saying it should be unlimited trade so you can basically, um, 
reconstruct your team. I think that's probably taken it a bit far, but I think if they sort of brought forward that super trade uh, window um, before we get started again, I think that would certainly be helpful given all the different things that have happened um, over that period of time. Some people would see that as unfair, but um, I think I, I was looking at a model where possibly for the first two weeks you could use up to four trades. You don't have to use all of those trades. And then two trades um, a week maximum after that. Um, the total number of trades is is a big one. How do you make that relative to the season? Because you've, you've locked off five games of the season, which is one-fifth um, of the season. So, um, but but then again, it, you've got to take into consideration, like you said, you don't. You've got that fluidity of the season that you've got the 18 week straight, so you don't have the have to uh, trade in and out so many players because of state of origin. So you've got to take that into account. I think they'll land somewhere between uh, 25 and 30 total trades for the year. So if you used your two in the first round. And you know they get they went with say thirty, then your your adjusted trade trades would be twenty eight that you start start with um, before we restart the competition, and then they'll probably look at bringing in something in those first two rounds, I think, and then revert back to the two rounds, uh, two trades around. What were you thinking, Des? Oh yeah, it's it's a tough one to speculate about. I I don't. I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen, really, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if they just left it the way it is, to be honest, and just take off uh, the five weeks worth of trades. I mean, if if you were coming first right now, you'd be, yeah, you'd be feeling pretty hard done by if they switched it up a bit. But yeah, it's it's very hard to know. Yeah, I think it'll all be relative to how many rounds you've lost. There'll be a percentage of how many trades you got when it was a 25-round competition, and it'll it'll drop accordingly to that. But then, yeah, obviously, I, I'm with you, Walsh, man. I hadn't actually spoken to you about it, but I had in mind somewhere between 25 and 30 as well. You don't want to make it easy for people. It's going to be easy as it is because we don't have to turn around everything. Um, so I think, yeah, the idea of making maybe three or four trades available for the first one to two weeks, but you don't have to use them, I think that's the go, but it, it will be – it'll be interesting to see what they come up with, and I don't think there's a perfect answer to it. So, you know, I'm sure they'll do, do all right with it anyway. Anyway, let's get stuck into your recap of last year, fellas. Some seriously interesting stuff. Can't wait for one little bonus part later in the podcast. This is part one, by the way, because we're probably going to go for a while. There's a lot of things to cover, so we'll get it all out over the next couple of weeks. Des, I'll start with you because we have touched on this in the past, and while it's irrelevant this year because we've lost Origin in the buy period, it's still very interesting conversation. Going into round one last year, you didn't plan much for the buys. You went in just with a, your side and went from there. Yeah, yeah. I, I started pretty slow in week one, actually. Uh, as I've said a few times, I was ranked around 30,000. But, uh, yeah. Uh, after the first sort of month or so, I had some big, um, big games from my pods, which were Moses, Cherry, Gutherson, those those sort of guys. And by week four, I was in the top ten. Um, but yeah, I, like you said, I didn't really plan for the buys too much. I was just lucky that I had um, a couple of eagles in there to start with, and uh, yeah, I sort of just built my team around that. Yeah, nice mate, Walson. 
you did a little bit of buy planning for your initial side last year. Yeah, I think from memory I did, um, but I wasn't overly uh, emphasised on it, um, Tim. So I think uh, the big thing is like I had a pretty good year in uh, 2018. So I came about, I think I finished 425th or something like that. So I'd keyed myself up in the preseason. I'd done a lot of research, listened to a lot of podcasts on it, and um, I, I ended up starting pretty well. Actually, incidentally, looking at it now, I started in I was in 425th position after round one. So that's uh, yeah, pretty coincidental. Exactly the same place that I, I ended um, 2018. So I had a pretty good start, and then um, did you buy plan? It's a fair while ago now, but. Did you buy plan in 2018 for round one? Uh, I, I don't recall either la either 2019 or 2018 having a really strong em emphasis on buy planning, to be honest with you, because you've got so much time to change your team. Um, and, and with those super trade rounds, um, yeah, I, I, I don't recall having much emphasis on it at all, to be honest, to start the season. But... Um, yeah, it was just I was obviously when you get off to a start like that, you get really excited, and and then I was able to go into the top fifty um, by round two, and then um, and then I was in the top, I was in ninth place after round three. So um, it was a pretty good start to the year for me. Yeah, far out. That is a huge start, Desi. How did your the opening to your season pan out? The first sort of six to eight weeks. What were the big moves that set you apart from the rest of the comp? Um, yeah, it was just, it was sort of a couple of antipods that I, I, like it was Latrell and Cook that I didn't start with for the first sort of five weeks. And I, yeah, I jumped on those two around, round four, I think I jumped on Latrell and round five I got on Cook. And yeah, they, they both sort of just instantly started to hit their straps and produce some really big rolling averages up until the buy rounds, which sort of set me apart from quite a few people who had started with them. Um, but, yeah, it was yeah, it was just getting in keepers like Cook, Munster, Ponga, Haas, as soon as humanly possible, pretty much. That's That was just the way that I went at it, hard and fast. Mate, are you responsible for coining the term antipod, or did you hear it somewhere else? No, no, I think that's been around for a couple of years. I've, I've, yeah, I've heard that a few years ago. That's been around quite a while. Should have claimed it, mate. You, you would have got away with it. <laughs> um, fellas, again, I'll, I'll go back to you, Des, first. When did you think you were a realistic chance of being in the money? I mean, it's, it's so hard because it's such a long season. It is so unpredictable. When did you think you were a rough idea? Because you hit number one relatively early in the season, Des. Yeah, I mean, it would be bold to say as soon as you hit number one, you think you're a realistic chance at being in the money. But, yeah, I, I think you think about it. You definitely start to think about it as soon as you're in the top ten even. But I'd have to say realistically it would be after the dust has settled, after the buy rounds and after Origin. If, if your team's still, like, um, held together pretty well, you've got a good mix of guns in there, I think that's when you when – you, can really start to say that you're a realistic chance at it. Yeah. Walson, were you, when you hit the top 10 early on, 
did you think you, you were thinking, oh, a little bit of a glimmer of hope here, I might be a chance if I can sustain it, or was it a bit like Des and not till sort of after Origin? Oh, no, like, it's such a long season. Like, I was, I was just, you can have a look at your history um, on the Supercoach page, and it's pretty good. But 2017, I was hovering around 100 for a long, long time in that season. I faded out to 7,000, and, and that's sort of, how I'd always played super coach, so I had to adjust my tactics a little bit. I'd just go full ball with the trades and just like, um, you know, just just trying to get the best team every week and not playing the long game. Uh, but in 2019, I made a conscious decision sort of after finishing 425th. I thought, I, oh, you know, if I put a bit more effort into this and have a look at my strategy and probably show a little bit more patience, then, you know, it might be a chance of, of finishing higher up, but I, yeah, I mean, I was I was ninth in round three, and then um, just looking at it now, round four, twelfth, round five, twelfth, and then I dropped. I, the lowest I dropped in uh, round nine was to forty third, so I probably started to think, oh, you know, I'm coming back, and then I had a really good round in round ten and came back to tenth, and then after that, from round eleven onwards. Um, I was never outside the top five. So I'd say from round 11 onwards when I was in third and I hit the lead in round 12, I was starting to think, oh, geez, this could be serious. Yeah, I bet you did, mate. So, so Walton, sorry, you said you, you went pretty gung-ho on trades in 2018. Was mm. your trade strategy similar 2019? Just were you ripping through them or did you save a few? I didn't. I saved one trade in round three, um, but and, and I want to give a shout out, um, uh, Timmy. You put me on to to um, Peter Jankalovsky from Vapor Media. Um, or I think he's from Vapor Media or the Daily Telegraph or News Limited because um, we we requested that um, he would send through Des and um, my trade so we could have a look because you can't actually see it on on the website and he sent through a whole list of our trades, which is really good. So it gives us an opportunity to jog your memory because it's a long season and you don't remember every trade you did. So it's really great to be able to look at that. But, um, yeah, um, sorry, what, what was the question again? <laughs> yeah, awesome stuff from Pete. Um, did, you, did you go gung-ho on your trades sort of the first? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sorry, mate. Yeah, I did. I, I did in the first – um, six rounds, obviously, you'd have no trades in the first round. I did, um, out of a possible 12 trades, I did 11 trades. So I only saved one trade. And, 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 and theoretically, that's what I believe in. Like, I think that you need to work to get your team right. And um, towards the back end of that six or seven weeks, you are starting to look at um, an upcoming buy and how your team is situated for that buy. So... Yeah, I, I think that's the way to go. I'm, I'm pretty convinced, although towards the end of the year, I would have given anything to have a couple more trades, but um, we'll talk about that a bit later. Yeah, so you you sort of started looking at putting more emphasis on the buyers when? Round, round six, seven? Yeah, I think so, around six and seven. Um, having, having that backdrop or, or sort of the backstop of, of uh, you know, the super trade, you know, I think you can do five trades. So that really helps as well. But one of the biggest strategy changes that I made um, from every other year that I played it was uh, every other year I've tried to have 
17 players playing in that first buy round. And this year, uh, this year when I was up there, I was like, okay, just be patient. You don't need to have, you just need to have 13 or 14. I listened to a lot of the, you know, the champions podcast and, and some of the tactics of other people. And they're like, no, you don't need that many. And um, by that time, um, around that time, I'd sort of um, met Des and we were, we were chatting with each other um, uh, unbelievably. And, and he was sort of, I was saying, you know, what, how many, how many players do you think you'll have for the buy? Oh, you know, 12, 13, maybe 14. So um, given that he was up there, I was thinking, well, everyone will be in the same position. Yeah, nice, mate. And that's where it gets really interesting. I'll throw to you, Des. How did you two meet each other? Because you said it, it did happen prior to Origin. So when did it happen and how did it come about? Yeah, I think it was just on a random a random post on the Supercoach Fanatics Facebook page. It was around, around six or seven. Um, we were both outside the top 10 at the time, I think we were like 11th and 13th or something like that. And then, yeah, we, we sort of just, we were on the post and we said, yeah, I'm ranked here. I'm ranked here. We added each other. And then from then on, pretty much we began just discussing trades week in, week out until the end of the season, basically. But yeah, like a couple of weeks after that, we were both one and two. So obviously something we were talking about was clicking and going, going the right direction. Yeah, so when you were talking about your advice, how similar were your trades throughout the rest of the year? Did they differ pretty strongly, Des, or or were they? How did how did that come about? Oh, they were totally different. Like we were pretty much just bouncing ideas off each other, and our, our direction of the team was just so different. Pretty much week in, week out, there was no. There was. I think we had one trade where it was the same. I think it was bringing in Manu Mau. I can't think of any other trades that I think maybe for Newell Blake, we both brought him in. Or maybe Walson already had him, but I, th- I think, yeah, pretty much only one or two similar players that we brought in at the same time. Maybe Sean Johnson as well for the uh, second buy rate. But yeah, we were we were pretty much just going opposite directions the whole way and it somehow still worked. I have no idea how. Yeah, the fact that you two got onto each other that early and bounced off each other and still finished to manage to finish one, two, despite having using different trades pretty well the whole time is absolutely absurd. Wilson, how do you look back on it all? Oh yeah, it was a pretty crazy story because I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't have like a, a set up profile on, on the Facebook and that. So I just basically started a, Oh, like a burner one so I could get on there because all I really wanted to do was see the social media and who was in and who was out and what the thoughts were on um, Supercoach. So I really just did it purely for Supercoach and um, for the majority of the time wouldn't comment on anything or anything like that. And then and then a few boys were making some comments on uh, one of those forum pages and I just, I just had a little bit to add or maybe about point scoring in the game or something or, or something that had happened and... Um, yeah, we just got chatting like that. I didn't even use my real name. So Des thought my name was something else um, <laughs> until I told him right, right, real, probably about 10 weeks out, I said, hey, this is my name. Well, you know, I just use that as an alias because, um, you know, I just go on there for super coach. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a crazy story. But, it, you know, we sort of we, – we've still never met in person, but we, we created um, a pretty good friendship because um, – we really bounced a lot of ideas off each other and we'd share strategies and 
yeah, you know, towards the end, sometimes we'd sort of muck around with each other and say, oh, we, we might do this and we might do that, but then we'd do something else. But but generally, we'd, we'd sort of be telling each other, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do or this is who, who I'm thinking about playing. And and we just gave each other honest opinions about it. And it was, um, it was really interesting, actually, because Des um, actually added me to, he was in a number of, chat groups and he added he added me to i think one or one or two of them uh and one one of them really helped me one week because uh i think there was a guy and i can't remember the name of the guy who posted it and i can't even remember the player but he said there was a laid out and like there was this strong mail that there was that this player wasn't going to play and it only came through really really late and a lot of people um left him in but i just sort of thought, oh, here's a chance to get a little bit ahead. I'll play this person in the game before him um, and just hope he gets left out. He was a fairly high-profile player. I can't remember who it was, but um, it really helped me. So things like that, like little things like that, even even when I think back to the start when, when Des said he didn't have Cook, for the whole preseason I was going without Cook. I was like, no, nah, I'm not going not gonna to have Cook. And then I listened to the Champions podcast um, and they were like, you have to have Cook and... Uh, changed my mind and I went with Cook and I and I didn't regret it last year. Yeah, nice mate. So, Gaddy, moving on to the middle of the season, the Origin period. You said you you had twelve or thirteen. Des, I think you were similar twelve or thirteen for the first first bye week. How many Des did you have in the second bye week, and how did you manoeuvre that middle period? I assume you just went gung for ho and just made a million trades because that's what you do. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> I think I only saved, looking at it now, I saved one trade in round two, and then I, I used every single other trade up until round 17 where I saved an old trade. I used literally every single one, so about 30 straight. Um, but, yeah, I just I brought in the guns like you do. Uh, traded in Manu Mo, Fergo, Fanua Blake. I actually traded out Luttrell. Um, and Gutho as well. I thought Gutho had peaked over that first sort of 12, 13 rounds. And I, I brought in Turbo and TPJ. And I, I took out to Powell and Sergis as well. Ooh, I, I suspected both of them were carrying injuries as well. Just from watching a lot of footy, you could start to pick up on those sort of things. The more intently you started watching. And, and by that stage, I was watching bloody intently every single game coming first. Um, but, yeah, I brought in those sort of guys for round 15. I brought in Manu, Joey Manu, Sean Johnson, Ryan Madison, and I brought in Kerr as well. Enough to Kerr out. And I, I offloaded guys like Nicol Klopstad and Corey Woodell, who I'd had from the first buy, sort of sleeper player. And I got rid of Dylan Brown as well. So I was offloading a bit of the dead weight from my team um, for the second round. For the second buy, yeah. I think so, Chance in particular, from memory, really hit the skids after that and then didn't play the second major buy end, obviously. So that was a pretty huge move because not a lot of people did it. Yeah, it was huge. Um, yeah, and obviously over the origin period, I, I kind of just sat back and tried to enjoy it. It, it was sort of just a time to relax, uh, watch it at the pub, have a few beers, take some time off Supercoach rather than sort of worry about what could happen with injuries and trades, etc. Um, I think it was around that time as well that I start, I think Walson and I both started to appear on the Mike and Savs podcast for some cameo appearances as well, which was always 
some, some fun and a good way to relax and just talk some super coach. So big shout outs to those two guys. So having Wilson and I on the show probably helped out more than, uh, more than we could think at the time. Yeah, absolute legend, Mike and Sav. Uh, I think you fellas are um, a couple of cases of beer after that, if, if they did help you out through there. So, mate, the second bye week, do you remember roughly how many players you had for that? Uh, I think I had 12 or 13. I, I think it was the exact same number as the first round. Could have been, yeah, 13, I'd say. Yeah. I saved one trade. I, I used four out of five in round 15, it looks like. Oh, yeah, I don't remember exactly how many players I had. I think it was 13. Yeah. Uh, Wilson, how'd you get through Origin, mate? Uh, yeah, well, I, I pretty much, having a look back at it, I did use up a lot of my trades. Like, um, So I only had three trades left. So I, I, even though I was spruiking that I was a little bit more patient, I probably wasn't, but I only had three trades left after round 18 to get me through the rest of the season. So, um, and... Basically, I spent the majority of my season, my tactics were just to hunt pods. You know, I was always looking for that player that could, you know, be different to what everyone else had and could could get me points. And I had some really good wins with it and some spectacular fails with it, to be honest. So... Um, and some of them just sort of, you just go, why, why did I do that? But um, I, I, I played a little bit like that with, with my captains as well. And we'll probably get onto that a bit later, but you know, oh, that was probably the strong point of my game. Whereas uh, I think <coughs> had a lot better roster manage management than me. Um, he had a stronger side for a longer period of time, but uh, I was able to stay up there because I had some luck and, um, made some really good decisions picking my captains as well. Yeah. Well, it, it's the more and more I hear from you guys and, and other blokes who have won it, we've been doing a lot of Q&As on the SD Playbook website with past champions and how they've gone about their seasons. They basically, I mean, there's no shock to it that nailing your pods is the way to win Supercoach. There's not a hard and fast rule in how to win Supercoach and how you should go about it. It'll change every year and the winners will have different stories. But it's funny because you do have to put yourself out there to a degree and go for these Larry left field pods and pull them off. But as you said, Wilson, they can go, they can backfire so easily. And in, and three or four of them backfiring can be the difference between finishing top 100 or top 10,000. Yeah, definitely. And I think we both had those key pods that you needed at different stages of the year, the ones that earned your money, like. Um, uh, yeah, Charles Nickel Clockstad, uh, you know, Chanel Harris DeVita was in there for a while as well. I think Adam Kieran at the start. So we, we, we had those similarity of players um, that you need. There's probably plenty more as well. But there was a difference in players that we had. Like when I look back um, at some of the players that I had, uh, the ones who did a job for me short term, maybe to the medium term, were um, I had Flanagan from the Sharks in. Uh, when I think it was Johnson was injured for a period of time and he he played a fair few decent games and uh, was a point of difference in that halfback position or 5'8", whichever one had him. Uh, Cade Cuss was a favourite of one of the boys. I can't remember who it was, Des. Remember who loved Maxi, boy. Maxi, was it? Yeah. He's yeah. a fan of Cade Cuss. 
Oh yeah, he had a real crush on him. But yeah, a lot a lot of people brought in Cuss, but um, I would I just got a one or two week jump on a number of players. Like I brought in Tavanga, and at the time I remember Des said to me, "Oh, that's really risky," and he was coming back from injury, and uh, he just he was coming off the bench at the time, I think, and he just came on and just was a tackling machine, and I think he put up seventy or eighty in his first game, and and then everyone started to get him in, and I noticed on our trade sheet that Des didn't muck around. He, he got him in the, the week after that. So um, Manasi Finu was the big one that I had there all year, and I was hoping he was going to explode. And then uh, who was uh, – Coruscant got injured for a period of time, and I sort of capitalised on that, and then I think – Finu might have got injured or Coruscant came back and he, he never it never really eventuated to its um, full entirety, but it, it, he's a player that I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to have him in 2020. But, um, yeah, he, he got into some dramas there. Liam Martin was another one and, um, yeah, obviously Jazz Tabunga. What, what players did you have that you'd say um, on the pod side of things that has really helped you out? Um, I'd say... A couple of the guys we got in over just before the bye weeks, like Corey Waddell, he he was huge for us, really. Like, bringing him in, he got 70 in that first bye round, and literally no one had him. But he played yeah. that Jacob Wurbish role, which was huge. Um, who else? Hudson Young as well, pretty much the same sort of player. Um, I'd have to say Fergo as well, bringing him in. I, I traded in Latrell and then out Latrell, then in Latrell again. So, like, he, he was a pretty big player as well for me through the whole year, having to trading him in and out. But, yeah, it was Tony Staggs as well, looking down this list. I'd have to put in Pangai Jr., of course. He, he went in on absolute tear as soon as I brought him in. Went on some absolutely huge, big uh, tons. Uh, just offloading like crazy. Um, who else? Yeah, I, I looking down here, it's just a lot of guns that I brought in. Tamalolo, I, I brought in Kalen Ponga as well in round eight. That was a pretty big move because um, a lot of people had him to start the season. But as soon as he got moved to fullback, I I just jumped straight on him because you had to have him there. He was averaging about 80 or 90. Pretty much just plays you literally couldn't go without. I brought in at the exact right week. That's just the, that's the sort of luck you need to to win this game, I'd say. You just have to – it's just all about timing. Everything yeah, is timing. Uh, I remember interviewing you after you won it uh, last year for the Telegraph, and the ones that stuck out to me that you told me about were nailing your halves to begin the year. And I think yeah, nailing your halves is so important at the start of the season because big-priced halves always hit the skids early on, and then there's the other ones who do deliver – and I remember you said you started with DCE, you started with, with Mitchie Moses, which was the big one. You didn't have Nathan Cleary. And then the obvious other one was uh, Ponga, who was starting at 5'8", made the shift from fullback to 5'8", and he hit the skids. A few people predicted it, but no one had the guts not to do it. But you, you, you had a blistering start because of those halves. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's a lot of it is just luck, really. I, I didn't plan it out like that. I, I didn't expect Moses to explode as much as he did. I mean, I expected something from him, something better than uh, what happened in 2018. But, yeah, 
I, well, I can't really take too much credit for those ones. But, yeah, Cherry Evans as well. I mean, I think everyone knows what he's capable of, but just a matter of whether he produces it. And, yeah, as for starting without Ponga, it's just, yeah, it's a risk you have to take, another sort of antipod move. Mate, you've got probably four or five more months of being the reigning champ. You need to just grab it by the throat and just be cocky and arrogant and just embrace it. You might <laughs> get this opportunity again. Yeah, definitely Moses, I reckon, for you, Desi, like we talked about it all year, and I didn't trust him <laughs> at all from previous seasons, but I sort I of... still don't trust him. No, nah, that's it. You, certainly, you know, don't get him this year, and I sort of become a convert because I think his his game's gone to another level. But uh, he was a bit shaky in those first two rounds. But uh, the, the second game against the Titans, of course, he was a lot better. When you get that early try, you feel a lot more comfortable. And when they're scoring that many tries, and his goal kicking is all it has. But yeah, uh, he he was always a player who I went. I wasn't that unhappy that when it was me and Des in one and two. For a while there, or I was close to him. Um, I wasn't that unhappy that he had Moses and I didn't, but then he really just continued to deliver, and particularly when they went to that new stadium, he played some games where he, he turned up and that, and Sivo was getting hundreds, and, yeah, you, you really nailed it with with, um, with Mitch Moses. And I think I think you might have – did you end up um, trading him out, Des, or did you hang on to him to the end? Oh, let's see. I think you might have hung on to him to the end, did you? Yeah, I think I'm no, – actually, no, I traded him out. I traded him out for Cleary. It looks oh, like – Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 you did. With, for uh, Monster. Yeah. For Monster. I brought I, – I traded out Monster, and then, of course, old mate Wilson brought in Monster the, the next week. But, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. It was a bit of a stupid move on my behalf, trading out Monster. He was obviously on fire the whole year. He, he was another one that I, I guess I have to speak about. I mean, trading in Munster, I think it was right before that day round, brought him in, and he just went absolutely hammer tongs the whole year, average about 70, probably one of his best seasons yet. But, yeah, I just, I don't know, I decided to, because I saw everyone else in the top 10 had Nathan Cleary pretty much, except for me, and I, I was winning. So the obvious thing was to just cover them and bring him in. And I, I've worked out that, the least amount of people had Monster. I think only two or three of the top ten had Monster. So I could trade him out and sort of get away with it. But then, yeah, <laughs> I told Walson and then, of course, he brought him in the next week and he, he turned up. So I, I had to get him back in. And uh, yeah, I traded out Moses. But by that stage, Moses has already sort of done the damage. Yeah, I think it was actually the same week. So, um because we were in one of the group chats and it was really, it was, at that time we were one and two. Uh, so I think it was around, about round 20. And uh, like we would put stuff up like this all the time. You know, we'd go, oh, I'm thinking about trading out this person. What do you think? And Des said, oh, I'm thinking about trading it out Munster and I'd never had him all year. And at the time I was actually thinking about trading Munster in. And I think I said to him, oh, I'm at, I'm like, I, I, I'd actually – I actually reckon he'll be a player that'll finish off okay. And then Des decided to um, trade him out, and he told us that he was trading him out, but I didn't tell the group that I was trading him in. Him in. The boys in the group, like, because I sort of did it as a last-minute decision. I only had three trades left at that time, and I'd actually brought in Jack Whiten in round 17 
as a bit of, you know, again, a pod move. I thought he could finish off really good for the Canberra Raiders and, and he obviously did the way he played in the grand final, but he he it didn't um, eventuate in his super coach scores. So I, I decided I'm just going to bite the bullet and I I um, actually traded out RTS, who I'd had since the start, and Jack Whiten and brought in Tedesco and Munster. And yeah, it caused a bit of it caused a bit of um, a, a few of the boys in that chat got a bit dirty. Hey, eh? hey, Des. <laughs> no, no, it was all it was all. Uh, I would have done the same thing, honestly. But yeah, it, it took yeah. guts as well because I think Melbourne were playing they were playing South or someone like that. It's a pretty bloody good team, so it took some guts to bring him in, and then he scored about one hundred and twenty whatever against South. So I I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. But credit where it's due, it was a good move by Wilson. Very good. Yeah, it, it was. It was um at the time, it was funny because Des and I, uh, when we met and we started chatting, we were just chatting between ourselves, and he was at the time. I think he was first, or you know, or maybe the week after we started chatting, he went into first, and I was around about twenty second or something, and then we'd spent all that time. We chatted for a while, and then he added me to that that group and that group had some really good late mail and there was folks that had some pretty good chat. There was some different chat going on in there too, but, um, but most of it was pretty good super coach stuff. And then a few of them, like they were uh, the whole time they were asking, Oh, how long are you guys going to keep talking to each other? You know, with how, how close it is. And we were both like, well, you know, we get on with each other. We're just chatting about super coach stuff. It helps our game helps, you know, helps us, um, you know, make decisions and things like that. We'll probably just do it until, you know, we feel like we shouldn't do it. And then when that happened and Des was, like, fine with it, he was just like, yeah, but a few of the boys, I don't know if they were just um, stirring or whatever, but they started sort of giving it to me and I was like, oh, look, it's fine, boys. Like, I'll just leave this chat. And then after that, Des was like, no, no, come back into the chat. And I said, no, nah, look, I'll just chat with you here because – like, I, you know, you don't know emotions when people are messaging things. It's like text messages. You don't know whether people are having a joke or whatever. But I was like, I don't want to, you know, get anyone offside about it or get into slanging matches about it because I was, like, pretty happy with the way I played. Like, I could have brought in Munster and he, you know, bombed for two games. And like Des said, those two games that I brought him in, I think it was round uh, 22 and 23, I think it was. And... um he played the Broncos and South, and in the first game he got 94, and then in the second game he got 127 against South, and I captained him. So Huge. Uh, yeah, it was it, it was a massive, it was a really out there call, and that's when I moved into first. I think that was round. I think it was round. Hang on, I'll just have a look. I think it was round 23. So I was in second round 21, round 22, and then I moved into first round 23. It might not have been exactly the round after I captained Munster because I think the round I captained Munster might have been round 21, but that really set me up to get me close to Des because Des was about 300 ahead at that time. I think you were, eh, Desi? Yeah, I, I, yeah, and it's when I captained Turbo as well, I've got to say that. It was pretty unlucky. I captain Turbo for forties back to back with that huge lead, and then yeah, Walson just struck gold with his captains. 
and he got back got back into it. Yeah. So, so on that, you get to the end of the season, you blokes are one and two. Des, at what point are you thinking I need to like ease off on what I'm telling telling Wilson and vice versa? Oh, I, I was I was pretty on edge, but actually, when I started having a couple of conversations with some of the previous winners, especially Wilfred. And he was sort of just saying, yeah, it's, it's a bit strange that you're talking to him. But he kept me on track. He said, if, you know, like, if you if you enjoy it, then just keep doing it. It's not not something you should overly stress about, you know. But, yeah, I was nervous, definitely. Um, but, yeah, I was fine with it the whole time, to be honest. It, it didn't worry. It didn't bother me too much. So there must have been a round where you said, all right, we'll have a bit of a chat about things, but I'm not going to tell you my trades. Oh, was there? I, I don't think there was. There was no real. I I never really kept anything. Uh, like even going on all the podcasts and stuff that I went on, I pretty much just out, outlined my trades. I didn't see anything super wrong with it, you know. Like if people, you know, it, it can be it can work against them if they know what I'm doing. A bit of reverse psychology. That's what I figured anyway. Yep, fair shout. Wilson, were you were you in the same boat, or were you a bit hesitant at all, particularly the back end of the last couple of rounds? Um, I think Desi was probably he was probably a bit more open with it. I think the last round, like the actual final round, I don't. I think right up until the last round, we were sort of fairly open with each other. You know, you you might be saying it, and just a way that you, you're not you're not saying it in absolutes. So you're not saying. Uh, Oh, I am. I'm gonna trade in this bloke. You say, "Oh, well, I'm thinking about trading in this bloke." So instead of telling him exactly what you're doing, um, you know, they they like Des Des might have known. Or he might have thought I was doing something, and generally I'd do it. Like because at the time that I said it, I was genuine about it. But there was a few times when I changed my mind, and I I was fairly impulsive. Like if I if I seen something that I thought changed the dynamic of that game and it was going to affect how someone was going to score and things like that, then I'd bring someone in like on a whim. That's just, that's just the way I played type of thing. I didn't have any trades um, in those later rounds. So there wasn't really, I mean, except for the fact that we sort of knew how many trades we had left there. uh, I guess that could have affected our gameplay, but um no, I think we were just both going for it and we were just sort of chatting to each other. It was sort of we were a bit incredulous about the fact that both of us <laughs> were up there and the way we'd, we'd met each other and things like that. So I think really not until that last round, like we played a few games. And that last round, I mean, we'll probably talk about it a bit later, but that's that's a crazy story in itself. But, yeah, I, I actually look back on the season and the stress levels that you get it sounds ridiculous, like when we're dealing with something like coronavirus and that, and yeah, you put everything into perspective, but you do get stressed out towards the end of it because you put so much effort into it, and you know you're so close to winning it, and um, you you want to win it. So, uh, and I, and it's it's like anything, it's out, it's largely out of your control because you know you can pick someone, but it's you know a player can get injured or you know. Um, they might not give you a try assist when you think they've got a try assist, or yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that can go right and a lot of things that can go wrong. It's a good point you make, mate. Where it's like 
no matter how well you know the game will change it, da da da. We know how much luck's involved in it. And that last round, you can be 50, 100 ahead, whatever. You jag an injury, your HIA, whatever. Like anything can happen. That's and it is out of your control at the end of the day. A lot, so much of it. Um, I'll, question for both of you. Start with you, Des. What round did you either sort of run out of trades or were you carrying on to one trade for not long to go? And then following up from that, do you think the only tactic to win Supercoach is to burn through your trades, play it week by week and set yourself up by round sort of in a regular year, round 2021? Or do you think there's a case to say, all right, you can be a bit patient to make ground later in the last four or five rounds when having trades available? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think personally you have to go hammer and tongs at it uh, for the first up until the first buy round at least. You, you need to make money. You need to get in the guns as soon as possible. Otherwise, you'd just be left behind. And even if you are patient with your, t- your trades and have heaps up the sleeve for the end, like you could be just way too far behind at that point. And, and people are always going to be making good trades. There's always going to be people on your tail. So I, I think you have to go hard with the trades early. That's just my opinion. But, yeah, I had one trade. Actually, in round 23, I used two trades. So that's when I, I took out Moses and brought Munster back in. I also traded out Tamalolo and brought in Kickout, which was also just a massive brain snap on my behalf. <laughs> but, yeah, I had I had one trade left then for, me for round 25 where I took out Turbo, I think. Yeah, I took out Turbo and brought in Pappenhausen because he was just – he looks so safe. He looks safe as houses, and that's all I needed really in round 25. Took out – Captain Haas as well. Took out your name, championship-winning namesake for a rookie from Victoria, not from Victoria. I think he was injured. Was he injured, Desi? Did he get injured in round 24 or something? Who? Uh, Tamalolo. No, uh, Turbo. Oh, Turbo. Oh. Um, yeah, I think, I think he, he did. Was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, he was. He did his peck against Manly at Brookie. Yeah, so I don't think he would have taken him out unless he, you know, yeah, yeah I'd never heard anyone talk as much about Turbo as Des did. Yeah. Um, and how, when did you run out of trades and what are your thoughts on the whole, do you have to burn through them or is there a case to save a few extras? Oh, I think it's a case-by-case case thing. I think 2020 will be the biggest um, test of that because it's going to be a shortened format and there may be less trades and maybe more trades, who knows. But uh, I think some people focus too much on cash generation. Whereas, you know, like the highest value team doesn't win, it's the team that gets the most points. So I think both Des and I agreed on that where it was just all about, yes, there is some cash generation there and you've got players that you really, you can see clearly. And and 2019 was a pretty easy year for it because, you know, you had Nakora and Zeri came through and and they built themselves up to be, uh, you know, like make you a lot of money. But uh, you've got to always remember that um, if you can get a player that scores more points um, over that period of time, they, they're going to be more valuable to you if uh, unless you can upgrade to a player that's more valuable than that player, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I, I was happy with the way I played. I mean, like I said, I, I had – it was hard for me to switch off my pod play. Like I was always searching for pods. Like I hit the lead in round 12 and it was a bit like you know des said in round 23 
like why did he make those trades? Uh, I did the same thing. I had this opinion that all along that I was spruiking to Des that uh, the team that was going to come good and they're always going to fulfil their potential was the Cronulla Sharks, and they never did. And so on the back of that, I brought in Matt Moylan, and the same week um, I brought in Connor Tracy. Now, Connor Tracy, the week before, had scored 84 coming off the bench or something like that. Or no, I think he came into the game as a late replacement for someone who pulled out late and he just absolutely killed it. He had like 10 tackle breaks or something. Tackle busting. Yeah, it was unbelievable tackle busting. And what I did is I didn't just, he looked good to the eye and some players I'll just go, yep, eye test, bang, I'm bringing him in. But I went back and had a look at all his New South Wales Cup form and I went, this bloke is going to be an absolute gun pod because no one else will be picking him. And, like, all of his New South Wales Cup scores, like, they translate into really good super coach scores. He was a tackle breaker. He got line breaks. He got tries and things like that. The next week he started, and basically it must have been, I think it might have been Cody Walker was out or, or Anna Reynolds, I can't remember. But whoever the other half was, they just went to the other half the whole time, and they didn't give – like Connor Watson made an early mistake or he, he – uh, sorry, Connor Tracy made an early mistake or he did something wrong early and he just – all of his confidence was shot. And I think he ended up getting eight for the round. And I was just like, this is the worst trade in the history of Supercoach at the time I was talking to Des about. And I went, why did I do that? Just the instant regret. But, uh, yeah, and, and Moylan just kept getting injured and then he'd get out on the field and he'd be all around the tries – but he'd give the second last pass to the try and it'd be like he'd have a try assist and then he'd have it taken off him or he wouldn't have a try assist and he'd get it given to him. But, um, yeah, so they were probably the two biggest decisions I, I regret. Um, the main – while we're on decisions that, that we regret, I'll just go on to this one. But the main one that I, I actually would argue cost me – there was two decisions that probably cost me super coach from my, my um, side of it is, and one of them was just totally innocuous. Like in round 17, um, I traded out Bailey Simmonson and Matt Moylan. I just, I'd had enough on Moylan. I was like, get him out of my side. Simmonson had peaked. Um, and, and I wanted to bring in someone who was like a pod and I brought in Jack Whiten. And to bring him in, I didn't do it at the start of the round, but, to bring, I should have brought him in with someone like, um, I can't remember his name, but that Canterbury bloke who was a dual centre wing in a second row and he'd stopped playing, so he was a genuine enough. But because Canterbury had played on the Thursday night, I had to bring in Tom Eisenhuth. Now, believe it or not, he was the bane of the rest of my season because the number of, like there was two or three key times when I had a vice captain that I could have looped um, but I had, but Bellamy decided to bring Tom Eisenhuth onto the bench and play him for ten minutes at the end of the game. No, hundred percent, mate. You, if you go back and have a look at the season, Tom Eisenhuth only plays three games for the whole season, and one of the rounds that he played, I can't remember the round. It was it was one of the later rounds, maybe round twenty two, around twenty three. It was after I had the lead. Um, I had vice captain. Uh, Teddy, I think Teddy or or Turk. Yeah, it was Teddy. It was, it was Teddy. Teddy. Yeah. Teddy. 
Yeah, because he, because he, Desi, I remember he. I think originally he was 114 or something. So it was sort of like, yeah, maybe you'd loop him. But at that time, because we were up there, it was like you take the guaranteed points, and I had a fairly strong list. So I was like, I'm going to loop him. I think he upgraded to like 100, 127 or 137, something ridiculous. And, yeah, and, and the reason why I couldn't loop him was because last minute they moved Eisenhuth from 18th man into 17th man um, and they dropped someone off the bench. I don't know who it was. And um, he just blew my whole loop up. And I was like, I was just shattered. And... And it was this, and instead of having um, to make it a double whammy, instead of having the 127 um, from Tedesco, I had to take. Uh, I think it was the weekend that I had Munster as captain, so I just captained Munster the week before and nailed it. So I doubled up on him, which was an error, and he got 55 against the Titans, and he was lucky to get that, I think. So, um, but yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, Tom Eisenhuth. I'll never, I'll never ever have him in my side again. Eisenhuth slash Bellyache, who, who did your head in and cost you number one. I, re- I do remember that storm uh, when uh, Munster got fifty five. It was about round twenty three or twenty four. Uh, they were playing the Titans down in Melbourne. It was a Sunday afternoon. The Titans were going abysmal. I think they might have had forty or fifty put on them the week before, and just all signs led to just a storm demolition. I, I use like the most ludicrous trades to get Munster into my team and mm. 55 which was like he got that late try just where he lofted the ball to Addo Carr mm. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. he was he was lucky to get 55 the thing about it, I I came away and went geez Munster was lucky to get 55 because he started the game by giving away three or four penalties and he was so lucky not to get sin bin because it was just repeat offense like it was sort of like his his dog had died the day before he was in a foul mood and he went out there and he just sort of – he was doing everything and niggling players and that. It was a bit uncharacteristic of the way he plays. And then, um, yeah, like you said, he just jagged that that over-the-top pass that had a car right at the end and got me out of jail a little bit. The Storm were a bit bit over-complacent. And then the Titans played like the best game of the year. By so far, it wasn't funny. and he just got done. Um, I do feel particularly sorry for you with the VC loophole and the NUF plan with Eisenhuth because I know that so much of your strategy is geared towards getting that VC loophole in play um, more than anyone I've ever spoken to about it. So that sucks. Anyway, that's it for this week's edition of the Supercoach Playbook podcast. It's been good chatting, fellas. We'll be back next week for part two of your 2019 season recap. Plenty more good stuff to come. So we'll talk to you then. A new year is full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM. 
for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM.